You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more. So you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast in the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Thanks for listening. Back after a week's hiatus, my voice has recovered from a severe bout of laryngitis. I apologize, but thanks for being patient. Two topics for this week's episode. First, Intel has agreed to buy Mobileye, the Israeli tech company that makes chips for automobiles. It's a $15 billion deal and by far the largest technology deal of the year. We'll dig into the what and why in just a second. And we'll also give you a preview of what's going to become an acquisition machine to borrow and slightly tweak a phrase coined by John Malone a few years ago. I'm talking about the $100 billion SoftBank Vision Fund. This is a fund with billions from Japanese wireless company SoftBank, sovereign wealth funds from Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi, and money from companies such as Apple, Qualcomm, Foxconn, and Oracle founder Larry Ellison. And the money's going to be used toward technology acquisitions in probably just a few weeks now when this fund becomes legal. We'll explore what types of deals you can expect but first, we'll start with Intel Mobileye, and joining us this week to discuss both topics is Bloomberg Technology reporter Ian King, our guru on the worlds of semiconductors and networking. Ian, welcome to Deal of the Week. Thanks, Alex. So, Ian, let's start with Mobileye. What is Mobileye, and why did Intel want this? Okay, well, as, as you said, it's an Israeli chip designer and software maker. Basically, its products are aimed at allowing vehicles to see the world around them, you know, things like automatic lane keeping, automated uh, collision avoidance, basically steps on the way to making vehicles completely autonomous. Um, in terms of why Intel is interested in it, well, as you know, Alex, Intel is interested in getting into other markets. Um, it dominates in personal computers and servers, but historically it's been pretty awful at kind of segueing that dominance into even an entree in, in, another, in other markets. Um, new CEO Brian Krasanich has said, "Look, this isn't ju- this isn't good enough. Not on my watch. All of these new market opportunities um, are going to be something that we are going to be leading, rather than just trying to play catch up with other people. And automotive is, you know, 70, 80 million units a year. But more importantly, tens, if not hundreds, of dollars of semiconductor content in those vehicles, making it." potentially an attractive growth market for Intel. Well, it's interesting that you point out that Intel wants to be the leaders in these growth markets because actually Intel seems to be sort of behind the curve in an acquisition mode, at least in this market. This follows Qualcomm buying NXP, which was to get into the automotive market, and Samsung buying Harman, 
same deal. Is this deal a response to that, or is Intel really sort of trying to be the leader here? The analysis post-announcement was that this was Intel acknowledging that its in-house efforts just hadn't been good enough, hadn't been progressing quick enough, despite what it had been saying publicly, and therefore that this was essentially a defensive move, a move aimed at trying to play catch-up. Kind of an important thing to note here, though, is that most of the chips that are used in vehicles today are based upon ARM Holdings architecture, not Intel. And Intel was really at risk of not being central in terms of what its potential customers wanted. And those potential customers, whether it's BMW, whether it's Toyota, they don't want you to turn up and say, here's a processor, please stick it in the car. They want you know, what they call a platform or a solution, which is software, sensors, processors, memory, everything, so that they can basically just plug it into their vehicle and have it do what they want it to do. Intel really didn't have that kind of soup-to-nuts solution or platform, whatever you want to call it. So this really makes sense in, in terms of a technology perspective, but in terms of where they were, it's probably an admission that they were a little bit behind. So just so I'm clear, what are the other predominant platforms that are out there now? ARM, you mentioned the ARM architecture. Is that is that sort of the platform you're talking about, or, or are we talking that's about... The, yeah, that's the fundamental underlying technology uh, because, as you know, if, if you're making, if you're a technology company, then do you go with a technology that everybody else is using so that you can take advantage of everybody else's learning, which is what happens with ARM, or do you do it yourself? So there are some companies that are trying to do a little bit themselves, but basically all of the existing suppliers, the Freescales, the NXPs, the Texas Instruments, the analog devices, have all started to move towards using these ARM-based designs. And right now, you know, Intel, Qualcomm, NVIDIA, all of the sort of digital companies that talk about automotive so much really aren't much of a presence in automotive. The vast majority of the market is still with those kind of old school chip makers and they're all basically using ARM designs and very little Intel in there so far. Was this a surprise deal that Intel would buy Mobileye? Well, there are a number of elements there. Um, Intel historically has had a very strong connection with Israel. It has a design bureau there. It has a factory there. Very important executives within Intel and uh, have come from that community. So the, there's, a, there's a, a bias towards Israeli engineers within Intel, and, and that's actually served the company very well. So that's a logical hookup in a way. What was happening with Mobileye, though, was kind of interesting because they were one of the initial kind of, you know, blue-eyed children of this market. Everyone was like, oh, yeah, look at what they're doing. It's exciting. But then there was a little bit of concern that perhaps they were just an early mover and that their technology didn't really have the stickiness. You remember they were in Elon Musk's cars and Tesla cars. Now they're not. Right. So there was big, the beginnings of some doubts there. So that, you know, in terms of making them a target, particularly at the price that Intel paid, was perhaps a little bit surprising. So yeah, the the premium is you know thirty percent plus on this. Uh, I have spoken to some people over the past couple of days that have told me they feel like Intel overpaid uh, for this and that it was a move of some desperation. Intel has made a number of acquisitions in the, over the past few years. They they largely have a reputation of being a company that does acquire. What is Intel's track record on some of these bigger deals? Is it positive or negative, Ian? It's hard to be polite about this, frankly. Um, they've essentially destroyed capital with many of their um, acquisitions. Uh, as you know, you and I helped 
our colleagues report, Alex, on the fact that they had just basically sold McAfee back to private equity. McAfee was, you remember, going to be the company that would secure, you know, secure chips. We'd build security into everything Intel did and everything, and that just didn't happen. Um, historically, as well as you know, they've tried to get into the mobile phone business with little or no success and masses of losses. So, you know, the, the jury is still out on their biggest acquisition, which is the Altera deal, which was done a couple of years ago. Um, you know, we don't know how that is going to, to to pan out, but everything pretty much bar that has really not delivered on the promise that Intel has made when they've when they've announced these acquisitions. And I'd say the the early returns on Altera from people that I've spoken to are not glowing, um, which would fall in line with sort of a track record of yeah. uh, perhaps overpaying for these things. Uh, and in the case of McAfee, sort of a complete misjudgment maybe on where the market. D- disaster, I think, is, is, dis- is not too disaster. Strong. Exactly. I shouldn't. You know, in, the, in these in these times, you have to you have to call a spade a spade. I don't want to. I don't want to. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just you know, I'm just going upon what the analysts and investors have told me, and they don't believe when it comes to M and A that Intel's been a good steward of capital. Simple as that. Could there have been other suitors for Mobileye? Uh, are there? Is there anyone out there that still could make a bid? Just a quick note. For listeners, there's sort of an odd provision in this deal where there is no breakup fee for the deal. However, any company, uh, in order to break up this deal, would have to offer about $70 a share or more. That's that's written into the contract of this deal, where the deal uh, forces Mobileye to keep the Intel deal unless someone offers 10% over the agreed-to price, which would be just about $70 a share. Any chance that someone comes in and, and, and makes a topping bid, Ian? Well, we, you know, the, the premium itself tells its own story. That that's significant, and obviously, Intel stock reacting negatively to the amount that it had paid. That would tend to indicate that they wanted to get this deal done quickly, and they wanted to make it prohibitive for anybody else to come in and take a look at it. There are always companies out there that are looking at this space. It's it's all, all that chip executives want to talk about is you know the automotive opportunity and everybody likes that but when you look at the amount of money the size of the deal and and the potential sort of gene pool of of other bidders it doesn't look hugely likely at this point so sounds doubtful that someone will make a bid but one theoretical buyer could actually be the softbank vision fund so we might as well segue over to that uh maybe ian maybe just get us started here Masa Sun, who is the founder of SoftBank, uh, made his biggest recent splash into technology by buying ARM, which you just talked about. Uh, what was the thinking behind SoftBank buying ARM? And then do we have any indication on how that might tie into this concept of the Vision Fund? Well, as, as you know, Masayoshi Sun is, is this tremendous visionary, in, at least in terms of the way he talks about technology and the future. You know, go, going back, he, he goes back to his his early days at, at university in this country and talks about how he foresaw a world where computers would have more intelligence, more capabilities than human beings. He states aggressively that he believes that we are on the cusp of a world where a microprocessor will be smarter than you or me, Alex. And therefore, the most widely used microprocessor 
type on the planet is is armed. You know, there are literally billions of these things made and sold every year by numerous companies. So he essentially went out and bought what he believes is the underpinnings of machine intelligence for the future. That sounds like a, a lofty goal, and, and, and but it is, and that's the who he is, and that's what he's doing, and that's what this vision fund is about. It's I'm going to raise a you know a massive chunk of capital and try to make these huge long-term bets, try to basically own the future. You don't have to be modest, Ian. It's smarter than me, but you know let, let's let's stay in the, in the in the real world here. Certainly not smarter than Ian King. Uh, so, all right, look, th- this is the idea to sort of get into this idea that automation and robotics will take over the world. Is that a smart investment strategy? We, we, you know, are, do these companies, ARM and other ARM-related companies, which we'll get into in a second, do they make money? Are they good businesses? Uh, ARM makes money. Um, it's a profitable business. It's It's a high-margin business because you know, relative to chip companies that actually produce their own products, it has a relatively, I mean, it's essentially a software company. It's, you know, staffed by people sat at terminals designing IP and and semiconductors, and that is an enormously profitable model when you've been able to spread it as widely as he has. In terms of long-term, in terms of, I mean, Massa doesn't think about next quarter, um, much to the chagrin of of his, uh, you know, investors. He, you know, I was sat next to him at a a briefing recently and he was laughing, calling himself the king of debt and how much debt he has. He he thinks, you know, he thinks it's amusing. Um, He doesn't view these things in in this sort of quarterly earnings cycle of a publicly traded company. Some of his bets pay off, some don't. I mean, there's been, as you know, Alex, you used to cover telcos yourself. How has the Sprint deal worked out for him? Um, well, not very well, yeah. and then recently better as uh, potential M and A with with T Mobile has has surfaced. But uh, yeah. but people think Sprint's a disaster to be to use your word from earlier. Right, and and that's that's who he is. I mean, he he's not scared at all to make these long term bets to just kind of throw it out there. Um, you know, he's he's working on investing in a in a satellite company to get more broadband coverage for you know obviously underdeveloped economies and 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 parts of the world that don't have that broadband access obviously that's a long-term play to to believe that you're going to get a reward on that on that pay on that investment so the vision fund has come out and said it wants to make investments in in large u.s based potentially or, or really i suppose i can say global uh tech companies and also acquisitions of such companies. And they have $100 billion to play with, theoretically. Uh, and again, a lot of this money comes from sovereign wealth funds, Saudi Arabia uh, and Abu Dhabi. And then SoftBank kicks in uh, a large chunk in addition to that. So we're talking about, let's say, 60 to $70 billion right there uh, in just those three parties. So if you're looking at the world of Internet of Things and automation, and the fund already owns 25% of ARM. We should say that deal was just recently announced where SoftBank, the parent company, actually sold a stake of ARM to the Vision Fund. So now the Vision Fund will own that that portion of ARM, and maybe that becomes even more over time. What companies fit ARM, Ian, when you're thinking of this world? You can say individual type, individual names, or just types of companies. But what should investors be thinking when they hear, okay, these this is the guideline for what we want to invest in, and we already have the ARM platform, what makes sense? Yeah, I think that's a very good question, Alex, because focusing on ARM is, is going to be an important guide. And this is where 
you know, Masayoshi-san has to think tactically as well as strategically because the value that ARM has basically is that it's Switzerland, that everybody uses it. You know, competitors like Qualcomm, like Intel, like Texas Instruments, they'll use ARM. And the basis of their decision to use ARM is that it's an ecosystem that everybody contributes to, everybody profits from. If it were to be owned by Qualcomm or by Intel or by TI, then that value is destroyed overnight. So if he goes out there and buys one of ARM's customers, say Texas Instruments or you know analog devices, these are companies that compete with ARM's customers. What are, how, are the, how are ARM's other customers going to receive that? Of course, no matter what assurance is given to them, they're going to believe that the company owned by the same owner is going to get preferential treatment at the very least. So that's something that he has to be very careful about. So we should be, I think, looking at ARM's customers. It's possible that he believes that he can pull that off, but you have to think, and I've spoken to people at ARM and, and in the investment community who believe that he can't really do a deal for one of ARM's customers. So therefore, we would have to sort of look upstream at the device makers, at companies that actually produce um, and make the devices that house the chips. That might be more along the lines of what Massa might be able to pull off. So in that world, what are we thinking could be an investment or an acquisition among the device makers? Yeah, I mean, Internet of Things is this beautiful marketing term that's been foisted on us, but basically it means any company that's out there that is putting connectivity into an everyday device. So Internet of Things now includes Carrier, the air conditioner maker, because guess what? They're connecting, you know, their their air conditioners that are going on your roof. It, it, it includes, you know, automakers are now Internet of Things companies. I mean, the, the General Electric yeah, would be an Internet of Things company. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and... and so many of these companies are, are looking to rebrand themselves and refocus themselves and move away from that, you know, historical legacy of just making fixed devices to, to being part of this connected world. And that basically, it's a sales tactic. And, and, and also, I should point out that the fund isn't necessarily limited to Internet of Things acquisitions. In fact, SoftBank announced that they're going to invest $300 million dollars in the shared office space giant company WeWork, and that, from our reporting and others, uh, will balloon to a $3 billion investment once this vision fund actually gets off the ground. So you can expect uh, a variety of different acquisitions. You know, WeWork, you certainly would not call WeWork an Internet of Things company. Uh, no, that's absolutely right. And if you look at some of the partners, for example, the investment arm of Abu Dhabi, Mubadala, they already own a chip company, they but they own chip production facilities, which other chip companies use to make ARM designs. So there is a connection there. If Mubadla are still interested in the semiconductor industry, you know, there, there, there are ways to make this work. You know, there, there are sort of lateral moves, you know, to keep those factories full that, that Mubadla might say, hey, Masa, come on, let's look at these guys kind of thing. So that, you know, device maker would make sense in that kind of an environment. So again, this is going to be a big topic in the world of tech M&A for the rest of the year and years to come. Uh, and I think it's going to be particularly in the news in about two to three weeks because uh, from my understanding, the, the sources that I have spoken to have said when this fund becomes legal, within a matter of days, SoftBank will announce investments and acquisitions right off the top.
So we know they're working on them. We're obviously trying to break news on what those are. Uh, but you can expect the SoftBank Vision Fund to be in the headlines in about two or three weeks. So we wanted to do this episode now to prepare you for the fact that this is coming. That's exactly right. And we need to listen to what Massa said directly. I mean, he, I asked him when he was sat at the table with us, what are you going to do? And he said, oh, I'm going to act quickly. I'm going to do one or two big deals. And what do you mean by big? Well, you know, multi-billion 10 billion maybe bigger deals and then a few kind of medium-sized deals what do you mean by medium-sized deals well you know the billions range and then a lot of smaller deals so the man has already got his targets lined up and he has a 300 year plan that's right right. that's it for this week thanks again for listening you can catch all our podcasts on itunes or on the bloomberg terminal or bloomberg.com or any app you use to listen to podcasts and please rate and review the show on itunes if you have a spare 20 seconds it helps other people find the show which i personally appreciate and if you have a topic or guest idea feel free to tweet at me on twitter at sherman 4949 thank you to ian king bloomberg technology reporter uh for joining us ian where can people find you on twitter so at i-a-n-m-k-i-n-g ian m king at ian m king see you next week Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.